This evening, if you would, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. The Apostle Peter writes, beginning in verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be God, the Father, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and it fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice. Though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found in a praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Certainly a great blessing to be back here at Bethel. Um, I hope you know how much I love you. It has been my great privilege to come here now for many years. I know the first time I came probably is about 2004, uh, back at an August meeting when Brother Sonny Piles uh, was coming and was blessed to come a number of times when I lived in Illinois uh, for that meeting to hear him, uh, who was a dear friend of mine, both of us being from Texas. Of course, he's gone to be with the Lord, and I miss him greatly, and a lot of other faces that are not with us tonight that are in glory that I miss seeing uh, when I come, but grateful that they are now with the Lord and rejoicing in the things that we look forward to. I appreciate the invitation uh, to be here with you and the Lord's mercy in bringing me. As Brother Ronald mentioned, it was a little, uh, <laughs> I think we just counted, I got about eight texts today uh, with new flight times, and uh, it was a crazy day regarding all of that, uh, and uh, thankfully was able to arrive Ended up being on the original flight that I was supposed to be, but when I got to the airport, they didn't think I would be, so my luggage is right now uh, hopefully en route from Washington, D.C. I send enough to D.C. as it is. Uh, I don't want them to keep my clothes. They keep everything else I own, so uh, hopefully they get me that back in a refund uh, real quick <laughs> about 10 o'clock tonight. Um, the Apostle Peter writes here to this group of suffering believers uh, it's not to one particular church. He says this is to the strangers, which are scattered throughout. And then he mentions Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. When he says strangers here, that's also a word that we would find in the Bible, uh, translated pilgrims. So he's letting us know that these are folks that are not at home. Now some think that these, he's only speaking to Jews, but as you read throughout the epistle, he's speaking to both Jew and Gentile. So he's not speaking necessarily of folks who are not in Israel, but literally he's speaking to folks that are not at home with the Lord Jesus Christ in glory yet. And you and I are in the same situation that they were. We are strangers, as the Lord would tell Abraham in the book of Genesis, stranger in a land that is not ours. A pilgrim is one who is a, a resident foreigner. One old writer said that uh, a pilgrim is one who, even in his native land, 
is never really at home. And as thankful as I am for the United States of America, uh, thankful to be from West Texas, thankful for where we live in uh, Lithia, Florida. That's where our zip code, which isn't really a town itself. I live in Keysville, uh, a little small community surrounded by Old Baptist in a wonderful, wonderful situation. And as good as all that is, there is a yearning part of my heart that tells me that that is not home. And as much as I look forward uh, in a, a couple days of getting back to Nichols Road, <laughs> I know that there'll still be some part of my soul that longs for a place that I've never seen, to a place I've never yet experienced. But yet I've experienced the earnest of it in this life, meaning I've had a foretaste of it. There have been times in the worship service and even in private reflection and meditation where I have felt by the grace and mercy of God to have been lifted almost into glory itself. Almost. Never quite there, but enough to give me the confidence in the word of God that I do have a home with the Lord in glory. As Paul would tell the church, or tell Titus in Titus chapter 1 verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before the world began and thank God that I feel in my heart and soul to be embraced in that promise which God made before the world began. So here is Peter writing to believers who are struggling and whether we realize it or not we are struggling in our culture and nation today. It is true that we still have great liberty in this land to worship the Lord Jesus Christ uh, thus far, even as we saw in the pandemic, many were restricted in their ability to worship. Many of us were not. Um, but even during that time, we still have not seen some of the suffering that goes on even today in other lands in this world and has happened even in this land in uh, generations past. That said, Satan is still very, very active. And while he may not be attacking us with the same kind of persecution that our forebears have seen, He's actually more cunning and more wily than he has been even in the past and far more effective. In fact, many times when Satan has come on with direct attack through government and some other forces like that, the church often binds together and finds themselves with greater strength. But as he attacks us as he is now, he's actually doing a very good job of separating and dividing instead of us coming together. And so we should not think that just because we have liberty in our land that Satan is not active. He very much is. In fact, the Apostle Peter would warn us in the fifth chapter of this uh, book when he would say, be not, dis uh, he tells us to be vigilant, be sober, because we have an adversary who is the devil, who as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You understand that in 2022, he's still walking about seeking whom he may devour. And if you'll recall, the Lord Jesus Christ told the Apostle Peter, he said, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired thee to sift thee as wheat. Uh, he wants to destroy you. He would love to sift you through the wheat grinder if he could. He says, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. And thank God the Lord Jesus Christ prayed for that man. And the Apostle Peter now, as he writes to suffering believers, writes as one who had, been, uh, had gone through the fire, had gone through the trial, to the point he had denied the Lord Jesus Christ with cursing, saying, I know not the man. Wouldn't even mention the name of Jesus. He says, I don't even know the man. 
wouldn't even utter the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he knew what it was to be right on the cusp of stepping out of the faith and giving up on Christianity altogether. And as you'll recall, as the Lord Jesus Christ uh, looked at the Apostle Peter as that uh, uh, cock crowed the second time, he saw Peter and Peter saw him. They were in earshot of one another as Peter was denying the Lord Jesus Christ uh, the third time with cursing to the point that Jesus could literally behold the eyes of Peter and Peter the eyes of Jesus. And uh, here uh, Peter sees, I believe, a disappointed look from the Savior and he goes and he weeps bitterly. And that's where he is for three days and three nights until he hears about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And when he heard about the resurrection of Jesus uh, from the dead, as you'll recall in the New Testament, uh, we find that he and John together, which multiple times you'll find Peter and John together. I love to see the togethers of Peter and John. Uh, multiple times those two men had a strong bond and would uh, worship together and serve the master together. On this occasion, they ran together uh, to the tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ. Apparently, John could run faster than Peter could because he arrived at the tomb first. But we find that Peter was not as hesitant as John was because even though John got to the door of the tomb sooner, we find that Peter rushed right on in and beheld the place where the Lord Jesus had laid. And here in that moment, that man that had cursed uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, this man who had denied he had ever known him, the very same one that when Jesus said in John chapter 6, Wilt thou also go away? And Peter is the one, not the others. Peter stands up and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. It is Peter that said in Matthew the 16th chapter when Jesus says, Whom say ye that I am? He says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood had not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which art in heaven. So he tells the Apostle Peter, What you know, you don't know because you're the son of Jonah. You know this because my Father in heaven has had mercy upon you in your earthly experience while you've been here on this earth. He has blessed your mind and heart to know and embrace that I am the eternal Son of God, the Messiah sent down from heaven. And to think that Peter, who had seen the Lord raise folks from the dead, to see as his own mother-in-law was healed from a fever, to see as the Lord Jesus Christ stood on the helm of a ship and spoke to the winds and to the waves and said, Peace be still. And instantly there was a calm. Uh, he saw the Lord give strength to those who could not walk, uh, hearing to those who could not hear, sight to those who could not see. The dumb were able to speak. Again, the dead were raised to life again. The poor had had the gospel preached to them. He had beheld that uh, for three and a half years. And yet when Satan came to destroy his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he was right there at the very edge of stepping off the cliff into the abyss of unbelief. And if the apostle Peter hadn't experienced all that he had was right there at the very edge of unbelief, don't think uh, for a moment that you're immune to Satan's attempts. Uh, any one of us at any given time, if we're not steadfast in the faith, uh, could find ourselves uh, not just at the edge of the cliff, but having fallen off. I love what David says in the Psalms when he says, he praises God. He says, thou hast uh, saved my soul from death. He said, wilt thou not keep my feet from falling that I may live before the Lord in the light of the living. And that's what I want in my life and I want for your life. 
that the Lord not only would save our souls from death, which he has done through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he would also preserve our steps as we walk in this world so that we would continue to walk in the light of the living, which of course is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter writes, and as he begins to address these individuals who are scattered, these folks that are not at home with the Lord yet, uh, and notice he mentions where they're at, and it's very interesting to me that two of the places that he names in verse 1, Asia and Bithynia, if you recall in the 16th chapter of the, gospel, uh, of the, of the book of Acts, we find that the Apostle Paul had a desire to go to these two places. He wanted to go to Asia. He wanted to go to Bithynia. But the Bible says in his first desire, the Spirit suffered him not. In the other, it says that the Spirit forbade him. That means told him, no, you can't go there. And then in a vision, he saw a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And so he goes to Philippi. And there Lydia uh, heard the gospel preached, and she and her household were baptized. And the jailer there in Philippi, he also believed, and he and his household were baptized. Here the apostle Paul was sent this direction. But see, here we find the, the Lord had in mind another man would go and preach in this area. So as Paul was forbidden to go to these two places at least, there's another man who had a ministry there, the Apostle Peter. And so here the Apostle, this beloved man, writes to these folks who are in uh, great danger in their lives. Not only are they persecuted physically, but the culture in which they lived when paganism <laughs> was on steroids, much like it is in our time today, there are so many outside of the physical persecution, there are so many uh, churches in the New Testament that you'll find that their experience very much mirrors what ours is today. Uh, polytheism, meaning the worship of many gods, was alive and well then, and it's alive and well today. And Satan loves the fact that uh, uh, children of God will uh, turn away from the one true and living God and worship the false gods of this world. Why? Because he's the one who's propped them up. And he knows that when we uh, turn away from serving the true and living God, we've really turned to serving him. So he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers, to the pilgrims that are scattered. He said, you're the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. I know this church believes in the doctrine of election. I love the doctrine of election. I realize there's folks in this world, they deny its reality. They don't uh, uh, like it. I don't understand why anybody would not like the reality that before the world began, not based on anything that I would do or not do or say or not say or believe or not believe, that God made choice of you and he made choice of me. I thank God for that. I know we have an election coming up in a couple of days and a lot of folks are on the edge of their seats uh, about how that's going to turn out. I'm not on the edge of my seat about that. I have my desires and I've prayed about the matter and I uh, trust the Lord will guide and deliver but the main election I'm concerned about took place over 6,000 years ago it's settled in glory I don't have to worry about the outcome I don't have to worry about uh, uh, who cast what ballot because God himself made choice of those who would be with him in glory you and I are the elect of God we have been chosen by him I don't know what better message there is to encourage the heart of a child of God than to know that you've been chosen by God uh, there when the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 22, I think it is, maybe 26, he's given his defense. It's in Acts chapter 22 before a man named Festus. And he begins to talk about how God had struck him down on the road to Damascus. And as he was on his way to persecute God's people, God intervened. 
You know, the best way for God to take care of an enemy we see in the way of the Apostle Paul is he just made him a lover of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we ought to pray for our enemies. You never know when the Lord may just reach down and regenerate them and all of a sudden they love the Lord and love the Lord's people. Uh, that's what he did with the Apostle Paul. That man went from being the greatest enemy of the New Testament church in that day to being the greatest friend I think the New Testament church has ever seen. Uh, anyway, so the Lord reaches down and touches that man and all of a sudden this man that hates the name of Jesus said, uh, Who art thou, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And what does Paul say? What would thou have me to do? Well, he goes into the city, Ananias meets him, and one of the first things that Ananias says, God hath chosen you. You know, one of the very first things that the Apostle Paul ever heard in a New Testament gospel message was the doctrine of election, the doctrine that God chose him. I don't understand why anybody would want to reject that reality. And reject the truth that God has chosen you. So he says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Time's running out and I haven't even gotten to my verse. He says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. He says, through sanctification, the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Let me just quickly say about that verse. The Apostle Peter, in just a very few words, has just declared to us the unity of the Godhead. He's just let us know that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all very much intimately involved in our redemption uh, from taking us out of the curse of sin and into the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, taking us uh, away from the condemnation of hell into the glories of heaven. Uh, he lets us know that God the Father is involved, God the Son is involved, and God the Holy Spirit is involved. And all three are very active in delivering us uh, from the state of death and condemnation. You know who was not actively involved in that? You or me. <laughs> it doesn't say that you and I were involved in this other than we were passively blessed because of the abundant mercy of God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and also the Spirit of God. So then Peter just, when he finishes verse 2, he just breaks out in spontaneous praise before he can even go on. Notice what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, which according, that means in agreement with his abundant mercy. You understand that the mercy of God motivates everything regarding our salvation. Had it not been for the mercy of God, he never would have taken the first step towards redeeming us uh, from where we were in a fallen condition. Uh, God has many attributes. His justice would not have motivated him to deliver us from our sins. Truth would not have motivated him. Uh, holiness would not have motivated him. Wrath would certainly not have motivated him. What was it about the attributes of God that led him towards you and I? It was God's mercy. What does mercy mean? It simply means one who is stronger sees one in a plight that they cannot get themselves out of. One with great power and sees one with great weakness and yet is moved with pity, compassion, and love towards them and moves to them and retrieves them out of that horrible pit and out of the miry clay. And that's exactly what God has done for you and I. As David would say in the 40th Psalm, he says here he was in a horrible pit in a miry clay. And what did God do? God heard his cry and God reached down and lifted him out of that. He says, and he set me upon a rock. He established my goings and he put a new song in my mouth. <laughs> that's what God has done for you and I. And I tell you what, when Satan begins to attack, 
the best thing the child of God can do is just remember that God has shown abundant, I love that word, not just mercy, but abundant mercy. I love some of the adjectives the Bible uses about God and his actions toward his people. I'm thankful that God just isn't merciful, but he's abundant in mercy. He said in Psalm 130, he says he's plenteous in mercy. I'm glad to know that God is not a God that's mercy. His mercy could run out at any moment. I can have this confidence that God that I serve, the God that you serve, the God who we are here tonight to worship, will never run out of mercy. That's a good thing because I need it every single day. I needed it today as I was trying to get to the airport. Because uh, uh, when that last text kind of say that my flight and I only had uh, 50 minutes to get to the airport and I wasn't quite fully packed and it's a 50 minute drive to get there. Uh, and that meant driving there, parking there, getting through security and on a plane. And I was telling Brother Ronald and my wife, pray that plane is late. First time I've ever prayed for a plane to be late. <laughs> and thank God, you know what? He heard their prayers. I don't know if you heard mine or not. He heard theirs. And that plane was late, so I got here on time. And I told him a while ago, my clothes didn't get here, but I got here and my Bible got here. That's the two most important things. I got here and my Bible got here, and I'm thankful for that. So bless me, the God and Father. So when Peter thinks about the electing grace of God, when he thinks about the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, and when he thinks about the redeeming work of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, all I can do is say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a lively, that means a living hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. For many years, I've looked at this verse from only one angle, and I'm not convinced that angle is wrong, but today I've been con contemplating it in a little different way. Most of my life, I've embraced this to mean that when the Apostle Peter saw the empty tomb, that his hope was begotten again. It was restored. And I believe that is true. We know that happened to him. But notice what he says. He says he's begotten us. We've been born again to this end, to a living hope. The purpose of God giving us eternal life in regeneration isn't just simply that we might uh, pass our time here uh, lonely, uh, pass our time here confused, uh, in a daze and darkness. That's not what God's intent is. His intent is that his children, when they're born of the Spirit of God, they now have a living hope within them. The Apostle Paul will let us know in the sixth chapter of the book of Hebrews that the hope that you and I have is not some wishful thinking. It is not some fantasy of man. It's not a fairy tale contrived uh, by men over the centuries. It's the reality that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who has given us life. He is the one uh, who sustains all things by the word of his power. He is the one uh, who is our anchor. Uh, he says uh, the hope that you and I have is the anchor of our soul. And the interesting thing about the anchor of the soul it does the direct opposite of what an anchor on a ship does. The anchor on a ship, of course, sinks to the bottom of the sea and uh, digs into the seabed. That's not where our anchor goes. Uh, our anchor goes upward. Our anchor is in heaven itself. He said, and I know that because he goes on to say that the Lord Jesus Christ, our forerunner, has gone to the place where that anchor is. He's gone into heaven. And so you and I have an anchor in heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ, the source of our hope. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection. You know, when you and I are born into this world, 
The Bible tells us that man that's born of a woman, he's a few days and full of trouble. David would say in Psalm 51, he says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. That tells me that after the fall of Adam, every birth in this world, when we have children, we have three and one uh, on the way uh, due to be here on the 14th of December. Uh, we solicit your prayers that the Lord would continue to bless. He's blessed with the uh, first three we've had. Um, pray for us. <laughs> also pray for me. I'm 42. This one will be 60. Uh, when, when we found a lot, you know, we have two girls and one little boy. And a lot of folks were hoping we were going to have a fourth boy. I, I was secretly praying for a girl because I planned to brainwash her to never marry so that she can stay home. And that's my nursing home care. But anyway... <laughs> pray for but you know when when we have children there's a lot of hope that goes along with that and many parents have been sorely disappointed because the reality of satan's attack in many houses has come to reality many children you could probably testify here at bethel that there's many children that ought to be here right now generations of people that have been here that should be here but for whatever reason, they've fallen off the cliff into despair and unbelief. Satan's attacks were successful. So we're born into this world with the fantasy <laughs> that there's all this hope ahead. And I'm talking about from an earthly perspective. Now, obviously, we're greatly rejoicing over this child coming into our life. We thank God for the three that he's blessed us with already. And I hope they don't bring us heartache. We're doing the best we know how to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But I don't know exactly what our future is going to hold. I don't know if there are going to be many nights spent in tears and prayer over the course of the direction they take in their lives. I don't know. But I know this, that every time that God in heaven uh, causes a heavenly birth, he knows the end of that. And it's always a hopeful end. It's always a blessed end. It's not an end that leads to death. It's an end that leads exactly to where God intends. And that is life and life everlasting. You understand that when you're born of the Spirit of God, at that very moment you're made a partaker of the divine nature, which means in that moment eternal life is implanted within you. Uh, in the very moment that God regenerates you by the uh, Spirit of God through the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ, you now are a possessor of eternal life and there's no power in uh, earth, in hell, or in heaven that can ever take that away from you. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. You don't have to be concerned. In fact, he'll go on and say, who are, meaning you, who are kept by the power of God uh, through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We weren't born again. Again, just to walk around aimlessly, to fall into despair and despondency, but to have a living hope in the Lord Jesus Christ and the things that he has afforded us. Notice what he goes. He says, to an inheritance. So our birth from heaven it has this intent that you and I would have a living hope because of these realities, that we have an inheritance. And he says about this inheritance, it's in, and he has to describe this in terms that we understand. Do you understand what 
something to be incorrupt. I don't know. He, in other words, he's saying, we know that everything that we touch is corruptible. Everything in this world is corruptible. Uh, we're corrupt. We are corrupt ourselves. We're corruptible. Everything about nature is corruptible. Uh, everything that human beings touch, before long we corrupt it. He goes on to say, not only that, uh, in this world, things that we experience and see are defiled, and before long they fade away. <laughs> and to describe heaven, a lot of times throughout the Word of God, the Bible tells us what heaven is not. <laughs> I don't know a lot about what heaven is. I know about what a lot it's not. But you know what? I know a lot about what this earth is, and by God in the Word telling me what heaven is not... That, that gives me a lot of encouragement because I know what this world is. And to know the opposite, while I can't quite fathom it and I haven't yet experienced it, by knowing what it's not, it makes me very uh, joyful when I contemplate uh, heaven's reality. I love what Job says about heaven in Job chapter 3. He says, there the wicked cease from troubling and there the weary be at rest. Uh, I tell you what, the wicked love to trouble us right now and they do it every day, every moment. All you have to do is turn on any news channel and there the wicked are, and I don't care what side you're talking about, there the wicked are trying to trouble you. <laughs> and here I am, the weary, <laughs> ready to be at rest. You know, when the children of Israel went to the land of promise, it was also called the land of rest. But even though it was, and there was a rest there, and Hebrews 4 talks about that, and Hebrews 3 says, There remaineth therefore rest of the people of God. It's found here in the New Testament church. It's found by coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, as he says in Matthew chapter 11, when he invites his children, he says, Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When the children of Israel went to the land of promise, so there were a lot of problems, a lot of mountains. A lot of enemies that had to be conquered. But that's not true for you and I. When the Lord Jesus Christ born us by his spirit, he did it to this end that we would have a living hope about the reality that you and I have an inheritance that's incorruptible, it's undefiled, and it cannot fade away, and it's reserved in heaven for you. You know, I like having a reservation. <laughs> Uh, a couple nights ago, I was down in Juneau Beach, that's north of uh, uh, Fort Lauderdale, and me and two co-workers, we went into a restaurant, and as we went in there, the lady asked first thing, do you have a reservation? We didn't have one. We were just walking in, and I was a little nervous all of a sudden, because I thought, I hope they have a place for us. And I asked her, I said, well, do we have to have one? She said, no, we just happened to have a table. So I guess by chance, you know, we were able to get it. I don't have to worry about in glory whether or not there's a spot for me. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ made it clear in John chapter 14. He says, "Ye believe in God, believe also in me. He says, uh, in my Father's house are many mansions. He says, if it were not so, I would have told you. I thank God that the Lord Jesus Christ is a God and a Savior of full disclosure. He does not hold back with us. He tells us the full truth. He tells us the reality. He says, we can trust this. We can know that in my Father's house are many mansions. Why? Because there are many of God's elect. He says, and I go to prepare a place for you. Don't worry, Jesus is not up there with hammer and nails and saw uh, building you a place in glory. The Lord took care of that at Calvary. He prepared your place when he died on the cross. But that place is now reserved. It's there for you. So you have an inheritance that cannot be corrupted. It cannot be defiled. It cannot fade away. I have family members that I expect to inherit from someday. There's an old home in West Texas that may become mine or partially mine. The last time I was there, I found out that it was corrupting. <laughs> that needs a lot of work. Uh, 
I saw that it was defiled and it's fading away. And if somebody doesn't intervene pretty quick, it may not be there by the time I need it or could get it. There's some things that uh, my father has that if he's not careful with how he handles it, it'll fade away. The money will be gone. The things that we might treasure could be corrupted, could be destroyed. But thank God what you and I have reserved for us in glory. No man can corrupt it. No one can defile it. No one will ever see it diminish. It will always be there in full store for every elect child of God. That's your inheritance. You know how it's securely yours? Because according to Hebrews chapter 1, God appointed his son heir of all things. And according to Romans chapter 8, the apostle Paul says that you are joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. If Jesus is the heir of all things and you're a joint heir with him, you don't have to worry about it diminishing one bit. It will be there uh, when the time comes for him to call you home or the last day appears and we all go to glory with the Lord. He says, we have been begotten again. We've been born again to this purpose that we would have a lively, a living hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's his resurrection that gives us that firm confidence that all things will be well. All things by his power will, at the end, it may be a difficult experience right now for you. You may go through hardships and difficulties. And there may be some saying, well, just wait. You'll see how that's all working for your benefit. Don't believe all that. Just know this, though. The Lord will provide. The Lord does sustain. But the Lord has something far better for you. That's why Paul says to depart and be with Christ, which is not just better. Again, one of those phrases, far better. It's far better. A few months ago, one of the dearest friends I've ever had in my life. Many of you knew him. He's been here many times. Brother Julian Cunningham went home to be with the Lord. That was a very, very difficult experience for me. He was like a grandfather, a wonderful member of our congregation, one of the dearest men I've ever encountered across the entire earth. And most of those of you who know him, you know the same. You know, though, as I, I think about... Uh, death and I think about glory and I think about all these thank God though that when we consider folks like that that means so much that have been such a part of our lives there's coming the moment of our experience that we're all going to be reunited together we'll see the full glory of God not only in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ but also in his ability and power to bring all of his children together in one place in one time, to behold him in his glory forever and ever. That ought to keep us encouraged, strengthened, and pressing on in the Christian way.